0: This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. Today I want to talk to you about a misconception that many Christians seem to have concerning church and concerning Christianity. Too many people think Christianity is a kind of a Disneyland they think it's all about fun and having no problems etc they think this is what's meant by having an abundant life they think it is a magic kingdom where their dreams and wishes come true all they have to do is pray a little prayer and god will do their bidding let me tell you something folks god is not our servant we are his today i want to explode this myth i want to look at what a christian is what are some of his major characteristics and show that it is not at all like Disneyland. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. In John chapter 3 it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night, and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, "'Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God.'" Now, folks, this is an important passage that has to do with what a Christian is. First of all, a Christian is born of God. Sadly, many religious leaders don't know how to enter the kingdom of God. Remember, Nicodemus was a ruler in Israel. That is, he was one who should have known the truth and should have known what was necessary to get into heaven. He didn't even know how to ask the right questions. Folks, a person must be born again before he can even see the kingdom of God. We're not talking about entering here. We're talking about simply seeing the kingdom of God and understanding what it is. There must, of course, be a physical birth if we're going to see the physical kingdom. If we're going to see the physical world, the world we live in, we have to first of all be born. That makes good sense, doesn't it? there must also be a spiritual birth if we're to see the spiritual kingdom. Those who are not born of God cannot understand those who are. The lost can't understand the Christian. They can't uh, understand that that they have a hope that they don't have and, and why they do what they do, etc. The lost can see that there's something different about us, but they have no idea what it is. The lost can't see that the cause of our being different is the fact that we're Christians, nor can they see the destiny that we have because we are a Christian. They don't understand that they're bound for hell and we're bound for heaven. First of all, a person must be born of God if he's even going to understand what this is all about. Secondly, a Christian is a disciple. In Acts chapter 11 it says, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now I want you to look at that last phrase. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The name Christian was first used here. It means to be a little Christ or to be Christ-like. It was a name of mockery. It was not a name that was given to lift them up and say they were something special. It was to be putting them down. It was a name that said, you think you're better than us because you think you're like Christ. It wasn't a name of praise at all. It wasn't something that people looked up to like it is today. At least it used to be. It's changing quickly. And I want you to notice to whom the name was given. It was given to the disciples. Now a disciple is someone who sits at the feet of a master and learns the precepts that are taught by the master. He then takes those precepts and goes out and practices them, puts them to practice in his life. A disciple is not just one who knows the things that the master teaches, he is one who puts them into practice. They were mocked because there were something different about them and they lived according to the precepts of christ and therefore were called little christ is a form of mockery you know folks there are some who tell us that we don't have any choice in the matter but i will assure you that being a christian is a choice whosoever will may come to christ for salvation We're not held back by anything. Now, it's true that that it says that the Father must draw him, but it also says that if Christ be lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. So the drawing is for all. And the very last invitation in the Bible to salvation is found in Revelation 22, verse 17. It says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Come, let him that heareth say, Come and let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will, let him come and take the water of life freely. This offer is not made to just an elect few, it is made to whosoever will. I know that there are those out there who are going to say, yeah, but only those who are a part of the elect will. Where's your scripture for that? There is none. The Bible says, whosoever will may come, and I believe that when it says whosoever, it means just that, whosoever. All that is necessary is to come and freely take of the water of life by faith. It is a choice each person must make, and they must make it for themselves. A parent can't make it for a child, and a, and a church can't make it for a people that they wish would be saved or anything. It is a personal decision, and each one must make this choice themselves. God has given us a choice between life and death. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19 it says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. The life spoken of here is not physical life, for all of us have that. This is eternal life. It's heaven, not hell. It's a life that will endure forever, which, by the way, also speaks to eternal security, but that's a subject for another day. God has set two thoughts before us, and we must choose. We must choose for ourselves. We must choose life, or we must choose death. Another characteristic of a Christian is that he walks in the light of God. In 1 John uh, chapter 1 it says, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. God is light and has shined his light into the world in his word. We need the light of the word of God if we're going to live as we should live as Christians. He sent his Son into the world to bring us spiritual light. Now, remember, Jesus Christ is the living word, and the Bible is the written word, and they will never contradict each other. They always say the same thing. Now, he sent his Son into the world to bring us spiritual light. That spiritual light, again, is recorded in God's word and if we're going to have spiritual light we must know the word of God. Now this is important, the word of God is is an important part of the life of a Christian. We need to remember that in God there is no darkness. Folks, this is why it's so important that we are very careful to make sure that we have his word not only down in paper but hidden in our hearts. Many choose to walk in darkness ignoring the light of the word of God. Those who make this choice have no fellowship with Him. You can't have fellowship with God outside of the light of His Word. If they claim to have fellowship with Him, God calls them a liar. He says they're lying because you can't have that kind of fellowship without walking in the light. No matter how good someone may seem, if they don't walk in the light of God's Word, they do not have the truth, They and they're not doing the truth. A few choose to walk in the light of His Word, These trust the light for salvation. They believe what it says concerning Christ, uh, concerning His uh, death on the cross. They believe what it says about themselves and their sin, and they choose to accept it by faith. This brings us into fellowship with God and with other Christians. Fellowship is a close relationship with frequent communion. If you claim that you're a child of God, and you don't spend any time in prayer, you can't talk to God like he was a friend, and uh, you don't spend time letting him talk to you through his word, then you do not have fellowship with him. Those who have this relationship have their sins cleansed by the blood of Christ. You see, it's more than just saying a prayer. It's a changed life. Now, it's not the works of the life. Salvation brings the change. And if there is no change, You need to check up on your salvation. You can't do it in the flesh. A Christian obeys his Lord. In 1 John chapter 2 it says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world and hereby do we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. As children of God, we have an advocate before the Father. It's important that we understand this. When we have a a problem, we can go to him. When we do sin, we have an advocate to intercede for us before the Father. Now the scriptures were given to us that we might not sin. But anybody who says he does not sin is also a liar. When we do sin, we have Jesus Christ the righteous to plead our case. We need to remember it's his righteousness that has been imputed to us, that makes us righteous. Therefore, He can plead our case. You know, He is the sufficient sacrifice for our sin. Nothing else is needed, not our works, not our church membership, not our baptism, not anything else is needed. His righteousness is sufficient. His sacrifice is sufficient, and all we need to do is receive it by faith. The proof that we know Him is seen in the way we live our lives. We know that salvation is by grace, through faith, and without works. We like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which say, For by grace are ye saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are also saved to work. The very next verse is Ephesians 2.10, says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Our works are obedience to his precepts and to his commandments, and if we don't have that, we have reason to believe that our salvation is not real. Some claim to know him and don't keep his commandments. These people are liars. The truth is not in them. If you say you love your spouse and you don't try and please your spouse when you can, Don't you think there's going to be a question from your spouse about whether or not you truly love them? Would it be any less with God? When you stop and think about what God says, calling them a liar and saying the truth is not in them, that's a serious statement, because Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are the truth. If you don't have the truth in you, you don't have the Holy Spirit, and Christ is not abiding in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. That's serious business, folks. Keeping His Word proves that we are in Him. When we keep His Word, then His love is perfected in us. It is only by keeping His Word that we can really show our love for Him. And it's only by keeping His precepts that we can be a testimony before the the world. The world won't know who He is if they don't see His Word working out in us. Although we're not saved by works, our confidence comes from our works. The way we have confidence in our salvation is when we're doing what He says. If we're truly saved and we're not doing what He says, the Holy Spirit will be convicting us, and we will start to wonder whether or not we're truly saved. So that confidence only comes when we're doing what He says, when we're following His precepts. If we truly abide in Christ, then don't you think we ought to walk as he walked? Don't you think he ought to be the model for our lives? Don't you think his precepts should be the center of our lives? A Christian loves in a way that a lost person is incapable of loving. In First John chapter 2 it tells us, He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him but he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. One of the two great commandments is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Remember when the lawyer asked Christ what the great commandment was, Christ answered that the first great commandment was, to love God with all of our being, and the second was to love our neighbor as ourselves. And not only that, he said, all of the law and the prophets are comprised in these two commandments. Loving God and loving our neighbor uh, fulfills the commandments of God. Hatred blinds those who hate. Those who hate may claim to walk in the light, but they are really in darkness. You cannot love God and hate your fellow man. It's, it's impossible. You can't hate your brother and love God. Now, it says your brother. I believe here he's talking about a fellow Christian. A hatred is not something that we should have uh, running around in our lives. However, uh, the bumper sticker that ha- says hatred is not a family value is wrong because the Bible says we're supposed to hate evil. But as far as hating our brother, you can't love God and hate your brother. Remember, those who walk in darkness have no fellowship with the Father. Those who hate don't know uh, where they're going because they're blind. Now think about those two things. If you claim to be saved, claim to be walking in the light, and you hate your brother, it says you're walking in darkness. If you're walking in darkness, you don't know where you're going, and you're not in fellowship with God the Father. How do you know if you hate your brother? Well, Is there someone with whom you don't like being in the same room? There's someone you can't stand being around? Is there someone that if they walk in the room, you want to walk out? That's a sign that you hate them. Is there someone that you just can't forgive? I don't know how many times I've heard professing Christians say, Well, I know I should, but I just can't forgive that person well, then there must be hatred. Remember who you are, and remember that God forgave you for Christ's sake. Is there someone that you have a bitter attitude toward? When their name comes up, it, it, it makes you cringe, that type of thing. Then you would hate them. If any of these are true, you have hatred in your heart toward them, and walk in darkness. Another thing we need to understand about Christianity, and this is the main purpose of this message, is that christianity is not disneyland in mark eight thirty four it says and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also he said unto them whosoever will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me you know, Christianity is not about fun and games. Christianity is not having all of our problems solved. As a matter of fact, you're going to find, if you're a true Christian, that you're going to have problems you never had before. Christianity is cross-bearing. Cross-bearing means bearing whatever burden is placed upon us to bring glory to God. God may allow sickness in your life to bring glory to Himself. We cannot follow Christ without a willingness to suffer anything that he thinks is best for his glory and brings into our lives. Christianity is a life of self-denial. In Titus chapter 2 it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The grace that brings us salvation is also a grace that teaches us to deny ourselves. It's a grace that teaches us that we are to do what God wants. We're to allow God to work in our lives and deny ourselves for His glory and to bring uh, others to Christ. We are to be a witness of that. It teaches us that we are to deny the works of this world. We shouldn't be following after everything this world is following after. The big things in our lives should not be the ball game. It should not be the big house or the big boat. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. I happen to like a good game of football. Uh, I enjoy watching uh, a good football game anytime I get a chance, but it will not affect the way I live my life. If I need to be doing something else, I will not let the football game disrupt the things that I should be doing. You see, so many people today are so wrapped up in this world, they've got to be a buy a big house. They've got to have a a big car, fancy car. They've got to have a boat. They've got to have whatever it is that they've got to have. Here's another thing that nobody says today, and everybody thinks is something that will not happen if they become a Christian, and that is Christianity will bring persecution to those who will live godly. Second Timothy tells us, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Not might, not could, but shall suffer persecution. If we choose to live for Christ in this world, the world is not going to like us. They're going to criticize us every chance they get. They're going to uh, do everything they can to stop us. Oh, we live in a country where we get away with a lot more of our Christian living than you would in some other country, but try going to our friend Saudi Arabia and being a Christian. It's illegal to even have a Christian church in Saudi Arabia. All of the Muslim countries persecute Christians, and of course, if you're following the news at all, you see ISIS and these other groups out there that are slaughtering Christians like flies. If we choose to live for Christ in this world, we can expect persecution. And it will be persecution because of our faith. The Bible elsewhere tells us that when we suffer because we do wrong, that is not persecution. Persecution is when we suffer for Christ, when we suffer for our faith. Something that always amazes me, if you think back to the book of Acts and look at the apostles that had been called before the magistrates for preaching in the name of Christ, they were judged and they were told that they were to uh, go back out and not preach in his name anymore. And before they let them go, they beat them. And when they came out, they weren't saying, oh, it's so terrible that I got beat up because I was just saying what I believe. I was just telling the truth. That's not what they said. They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Now, think just a little bit about that. They were counted worthy to suffer for christ folks if christ brings suffering into our lives it's because he thinks we are worthy to take that suffering when he brings suffering into our lives he knows that we will stand strong and be a good testimony for him another thing that christianity is not is not some sort of a magic kingdom some people think prayer is kind of like a magician saying abracadabra. They think that if you pray something, then God's going to uh, just provide whatever you want. Uh, we're told by some that if you pray and it doesn't happen, it's because you have a lack of faith. That's not the case. There are those out there who preach a prosperity gospel. They say that God doesn't want any of his children to be sick or to be poor or, or, or to have any other problems. Nothing could be further from the truth as we've seen in what I've said so far. In James chapter 5, it says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayer is an important part of a Christian's life. The prayer must be effectual and fervent. What does that mean? Well, it's translated from one Greek word, and basically it means it should be coming from the heart, and it should be done with power there should be some some real soul-searching and some real burden on your heart when you pray. It must flow from a life that is actively living by Christ's uh, precepts. You can't expect to go out and disobey God and live your life as if He didn't exist until trouble comes, and then go to Him in prayer and think He's just going to wipe away all your problems. But that's what some people say, Having pastored for a long time, I've seen many people that were down and out, and they thought, well, if I start going to church, God's going to take all my problems away. And they come to church for a while, and the problems don't disappear. But they do. They're soon gone. It means if we're going to have effective prayer, we're going to have to live by God's precepts. And it, we must also have a true... Uh, concern for the object of our prayer whatever we're praying for must be something that that is really in our hearts and it is really important to us and god will hear our prayer he will always answer he may not answer the way we want him to answer but he will always answer he will say yes he will say wait a while or he will say no and in either case we need to understand that his response is for our best good, and most importantly, for his glory. That should be the desire in our hearts. We need to understand that sin will stifle prayer. In Psalms, it tells us, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Iniquity is kind of like sticking earplugs in God's ears. Sin will stop up God's ears, and he will not hear. It's not that he can't hear, because God can hear, but he will not hear. It says, it says, the Lord will not hear me. Any sin, immorality, hatred, unbelief, etc., will stifle prayer. Prayer must be according to His will. This is the part that is so missed by the prosperity preachers and the word of faith preachers that are out there. In First John chapter 5, we're told, and this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now, folks, look at this. It's talking about praying according to his will. The only way we can pray according to God's will is if we know what God's will is. When we pray, and there's something that we don't have any direct biblical basis for, a for example, if we're, if we're praying for a new job, uh, there's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt have that job or thou shalt not have that job. There's nothing like that. But when we're praying for it, we need to understand that if God doesn't allow us to have that job, it may be because God knows that job would not be good for you. It may be that he knows that that job, if you get it, will cause you to do things which will, uh, be a reproach to his name. A thing we need to remember as Christians is that our purpose in life is not to have a good life. The purpose in life of a Christian is to bring glory to God. So when we pray, we should be praying that God's will will be done in whatever the matter is. How many times have you prayed for someone that was close to you? Maybe it was a loved one, a family member, maybe it was just a close friend uh, from church or, or somewhere else, and you've prayed uh, when they got sick for their healing, and instead God let them die. Well, we need to understand that God had a reason for doing that, and it will bring glory to Him in the end. So we need to pray according to His, uh, His will. And when we pray according to His will, that gives us confidence that He will answer our prayers, but we know He will answer it in the way that is best. Knowing that we are seeking things according to His will assures us that His answers will be what we really want, not necessarily what we think we want. A true Christian is one who has been born again by coming to Christ on Christ's terms for salvation. He is one who lives in the light of God's Word. That means that He lives according to its precepts. He keeps its commandments. He loves the brethren as Christ loved us. Christianity is a life of cross-bearing, of self-denial, and of persecution. Now, in America, the persecution is rather light. However, if you pay attention to what's going on in the news, it may not be that way much longer, but that's the way it is right now. But look at what Christians around the world are suffering today. Prayer is not some kind of magic incantation It's not saying abracadabra and all of a sudden everything happens the way we want it to happen. It's a sincere petition by a faithful servant and a child of God. We cannot expect the abundant life, which has nothing to do with what we call the good life, unless we are faithfully living by God's precepts. It's time that we understand that Christianity is not Disneyland. It's not about fun. It's not about getting our way. It's about bringing glory to God. And it is so wonderful that we have a God that if we'll bring glory to Him, He will reward us for all eternity. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more... Go to our website, SolidFoundationMinistries.com or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.